more than a pleasure to have back on the program Julian Zelizer. Julian is a political historian at Princeton University and a New America Foundation fellow. He has published over 500 op-eds, including his weekly column on CNN.com. He's had fellowships from the Brookings Institution, the Guggenheim Foundation, and the Russell Sage Foundation. The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson Congress and the Battle for the Great Society is Julian's most recent book. I strongly encourage you to get a copy. I'm lucky to have a copy of that in his former books. More than a pleasure to have him back. Julian, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, we are in an election year, and it's terrible any time anyone loses their life at the um, at the, at the hands of a madman, like we saw on Sunday. Uh, whether this is a, a terrorist attack or not is being questioned now, but certainly, to me, any mass massacre is a, a terror attack on some level. Um, and, and some, you know, people right away, you know, we, we talk about the shooter, you know, we talk, how are we going to define it and things like that. But I think we also have a responsibility uh, to know and to look at as voters um, what it means politically um, for the candidates, uh, the presumptive Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton, and the presumptive Republican nominee, Donald Trump, in this presidential election campaign of 2016. Um, so first of all, what happened on Sunday does impact their campaigns on a certain level, and certainly the opinions of the voters, and can even sway people to switch candidates, correct? Absolutely. Uh, obviously, whenever a crisis like this happens in the middle of a campaign, everyone hopes that politics won't be part of the conversation we have in the aftermath, but that just doesn't square with reality. Uh, historically, uh, politics doesn't stop at the water's edge. Uh, and I think we've seen already that's not going to happen this time. And second, uh, it is a way in which we gain a sense of how different candidates would govern. And uh, this creates a sense of crisis, a real crisis in the United States when something like this happens. And we get a feel as the candidates respond to what they would look like uh, if they were the commander-in-chief. With regard to these types of situations, when any, there's ever a mass massacre, there are a lot of things that come up, um, you know, which are national security, you know, being huge, guns being another. So let's take the former. Um, with regard to national security, is it essential or what is better, do you think, politically, when you look at uh, politics historically, uh, to be really tough with regard to national security or to ensure people that you have a level head and that you can keep them safe. In other words, you know, Trump and Clinton have very different styles to try and ensure the American public the same thing, which is I'm here to keep you safe and I'm going to do everything I can to prevent this from happening, just very different ways of going about that. I mean, I think in the short term, very often being tough or sounding like you're tough, playing to people's fears can have some, again, short-term political benefit. People are scared. People are angry. Uh, and sometimes if a politician expresses that, uh, voters uh, appreciate that. But I think as the months go by and as things settle, there is a benefit to someone who's tough, which I think both candidates still sound tough, including Hillary Clinton, uh, but shows some level of restraint and control. Uh, I think when a candidate can do that, it can often be just as reassuring to a voter uh, because they imagine that's what the president would be like handling the crisis uh, as uh, as efficient and as politically attractive as it is to, to kind of yell and scream. When we look at what happened originally um, in uh, the aftermath 
we have seen some things happen. For example, I mean, this was the LGBT community specifically that was attacked uh, in uh, uh, Pulse at this nightclub in Orlando. Um, historically, the LGBT community overwhelmingly votes Democratic, and you know we we saw and heard um, uh, rhetoric uh, not only supporting that community, but in a sense reminding that community of how the Democrats, like Hillary, have been on their side along, and that Trump is. Uh, you know, draped in the Republican flag, if you will, of of a party that now is, uh, you know, claiming their buddies, but legislatively uh, has has done a lot to block the rights of this group. Oh, hang on, Julian. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get your response to that. I'm Leslie Marshall. He's Julian Zelizer, and we'll be back with him and you right after this. If you have questions for our guest, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. If you want to tweet, follow me on Twitter, at Leslie Marshall. I'll incorporate those throughout the hour as well. Don't go away. Back with our guest, political historian at Princeton University, New America Foundation fellow, author most recently of the book, The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. He's Julian Zelizer, and you can follow him on Twitter at Julian Zelizer, J-U-L-I-A-N-Z-E-L-I-Z-E-R. The website for Julian is that same name, JulianZelizer.com, and also check out CNN.com, where he writes a weekly uh, op-ed blog. Uh, Thank you for holding, Julian. Uh, Welcome back. Um, uh, two two different um, ways of conveying I've got your back, literally, with regard to uh, national security. Um, historically, which has been more successful, Donald Trump style or Hillary Clinton's? I think over time, Hillary Clinton style. Again, I think there's moments when uh, in the immediate aftermath of a crisis, people like to hear the uh, fear and they like to hear the anger. Uh, but over time, I think the candidates that have more of a balance, they still speak to that. They still have a hawkish appeal, but they also uh, indicate they understand the dangers of war. That's what voters like. In 64, Johnson did this. On the one hand, he had the Daisy ad, which warned that if uh, Barry Goldwater won the election, you know, the United States could get into a nuclear war. But on the other hand, he made promises that he'd be tough against communism. So I think in the end it's a balance. I think people who do one uh, approach only uh, don't necessarily benefit. I want to talk about also more um, from uh, your piece. Obviously, you're running for office. You've got to say things that's going to get people to, you know, vote for you if you're up there. But do politicians not only have a responsibility, but also does it help them if they start this conversation that a nation needs to have, and this is a conversation that we obviously need to have about guns, about terror, about terrorism, uh, you know, whether you know, and the whole spectrum, the whole gamut of this issue. Absolutely. I mean, there is a part of a lot of the country that doesn't like the way in which these issues quickly become political. Uh, but the beneficial aspect is that we can end up having important discussions, important debates about what do you do to make the situation better. And so the fact that gun control emerges out of this and is now being debated in the Senate and being discussed in the Senate uh, is, you know, a, a, a positive development after a horrific attack and similarly on other aspects of national security. So sometimes it can push candidates to deal with issues they were otherwise ignoring. 
I want to talk about, you just referenced uh, Johnson and, and Vietnam, and the fact that you mentioned that. You also mentioned the Cold War and conservatives and Democrats and their side at that time with regard to uh, communism and nuclear weapons. And I say that because two things here, Julian. One, what we're experiencing now, although a different type of terror, um, that there has been terror and issues of national security historically uh, during presidential election years, one. And two, um, that often the way left and right uh, states, how they will keep us safer and, and how they demonize the other party has been done before as well, as I, I think you point out in your piece uh, with reference to the Cold War. No, absolutely. Uh, this is not new. And, you know, it feels that way when you watch it happen. Uh, but we've had very contentious periods where, the parties really go after each other. So in the Cold War, you know, Republicans were attacking Democrats when Harry Truman was in pre- the president for saying he wasn't going after communists abroad. Joe McCarthy was claiming they were allowing communists to work in the highest levels of government. Uh, you know, fast forward to post-9-11. It's not as if it was all unity after 9-11. By the 2002 midterm campaigns, The Republicans were blasting the Democrats in campaign ads for being weak on defense. And in 2004, both parties, John Kerry and George Bush, really went after each other for how they were handling the question. So it's it's more expected that uh, these issues will become very politicized pretty quickly. Is it fair to say, when you have a guy like Donald Trump who put and tweets, you know, uh, when will this stop? When will we get tough, smart, and vigilant? I want toughness and vigilance again. Be smart. Uh, Is President Obama going to finally mention the words radical Islamic terrorism, blah, blah, blah? And we'll get into that in a second. But um, is his style um, of of pointing fingers, I'm going to just ask it. Uh, Do attacks like this help candidates like Donald Trump? I don't think it's helping him. Uh, I, I mean, I think there are candidates who can pull it off. They can make accusations. They can, you know, claim that the president or their opponent uh, are doing dangerous things to the country. But I think, you know, Donald Trump has a very particular challenge. He won the primary. He did it his way. Uh, but now the challenge is to move beyond the people who love him and to broaden his appeal and to demonstrate to Republicans who hesitantly support him that he can govern, that he understands what it means to be presidential. And so I think part of what's happened in the last week is he has not accomplished any of that. Uh, And so he is not the kind of candidate who can survive solely through bombast after a moment like this. He has to show that other aspect of handling national security, and I think he's going to have to do that soon because it's unnerving many Republicans, uh, those who love him, but certainly those who are hesitantly supporting him. Um, I want to talk about um, also the type of uh, response that Hillary has. And I, uh, I want to go back, actually, to Islamic, uh, radical Islamic terrorism. Does it seem, in your experience, historically, politically, and, and, and even, you know, as of since 9-11, and you talk about how we had like a moment of bipartisan kumbaya were united, and then that, you know, dissipated pretty quickly, unfortunately, for our nation. But... Um, when you have one side screaming about what it's called, um, is is that helpful? And I say that because I, as an American, I, I really don't care what you call any of these things. I just want to know what's your plan to prevent or stop the next. 
Yeah, I think that is very important. I think most Americans, that's what they care about. They don't want more of it, uh, and they want to understand what measures are you going to put into place and how do you envision stopping this or, or at least diminishing the number of incidents that take place. And, uh, you know, I think Donald Trump has come under attack for bringing this issue up and making it front and center, in part from those who do oppose using that terminology, uh, in, in principle because it's strategically a bad idea. It can alienate allies, it doesn't actually describe the problem, and it won't help us fight the threats that we face. And in this case, he used it very early, uh, before the evidence was clear about what this was about. Thus far, what we're hearing, it's more of a, a lone wolf, someone who was having many psychological problems and used this at the, in the end uh, as a way to give legitimacy in, in some uh, fashion to what he was doing. Uh, and he was quick to use this and to talk about this argument. And I think because of all this, it's really backfired on him politically. And when we look at a uh, campaign, I mean, the Terrorist Act is going to offer challenges to the campaigns, as you write, uh, that, you know, as they try to figure out the best response to the situation. Julian, with your experience, uh, you know, that you teach with history and politics at Princeton, if somebody were advising you, what is the best way for a candidate to respond to a situation like we saw in Orlando on Sunday? What would your advice be to them? You know, I think uh, first they do have to show that they understand the feelings that the public has. And so one example that people remember, even people who don't necessarily like that president, was George W. Bush after 9-11 when he went to Ground Zero and uh, did the speech with first responders, and one person in the back, a fireman, couldn't hear him uh, and said, I can't hear you, and he answered in dramatic fashion that he could hear them and the world would hear from the United States. Uh, and there, some level of that has to be part of what a candidate does, not to be tough, but to show they understand the fears and anxieties and angers in the electorate. That is important. But they also have to show that they can then be the leader, not just the person who's angry. We elect presidents not just to express all the fears that we have, but also to guide us through those difficult moments. And so I think to hear a candidate outline, this is what I'm going to do, these are two or three policy steps I'm going to take, which I think will make this better and diminish the kinds of threats that we face. It's very important to see that from a candidate and to hear that from a candidate. It's not enough just to have the anger, uh, because we're electing something more than that. That's what voters want. And that's why, uh, to your points, uh, with regard to Trump, there is a question, can he be trusted to handle this type of an attack uh, does he have the knowledge, and certainly uh, not just the knowledge and the wisdom, but the temperament and the demeanor? Exactly. And, you know, back to the early 1950s, the, the, the Republican many people think of that they learn of in their textbooks is Senator Joe McCarthy, who was an anti-communist red baiter, and, and he spoke with the same kind of fire that Donald Trump's been uh, speaking uh, in, in the last few days. But, but in the end, the Republican who broke through at the presidential level was Dwight Eisenhower, uh, who was a military hero, who showed a demeanor uh, where he was very restrained and contained about how to handle the communist threat. Uh, and I think that's uh, a, a historical example that's very relevant today. Uh, thus far, Donald Trump has not shown any of that, and I think that's hurting him, as we can see in the polls. 
uh, politically in ways that almost nothing else has until this point. Uh, with uh, regard to a candidate picking a VP, um, does Orlando change that? In other words, if you were Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, would you be looking to somebody who has a military background? Well, either a military background or some kind of background as an elected official, uh, a senator on a, a key committee dealing with military issues. Uh, I think this will certainly be important for Donald Trump. Uh, he, he's going to have to show that he has someone by his side who understands how to govern. And uh, everything that's happened in the last few days makes that all that much more important. I think if he just picks someone else like him, someone else from really outside the system who doesn't play by the rules, it's hard to imagine how he does that and then moves forward to a victory. Hillary Clinton has more flexibility. There are few people who know as much about foreign policy as she does. People disagree with her. Many people, uh, Republicans, don't like the decisions she's made. But in terms of her qualifications, you, you can't have many more. So to have a vice president to just add to that for her uh, probably won't be that essential. I have to say, of course, there were those pastors that came out on Sunday saying horrific things about the LGBT community. But when you have places like Tulsa, Oklahoma, having a gay pride flag uh, in, in lights, and, and you see that, you know, the Eiffel Tower, uh, Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, it's, uh, it, it's just amazing how pro-LGBT everyone becomes after a tragedy like this. And although I think that's a great thing, it's, it, it's not, um, their words are today, not what their actions have been in the past all the time. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the good news is just to watch in the last 10 years, and we already saw this with the same-sex marriage, public opinion polls and the court decisions, that, that public opinion generally has really changed dramatically in ways that for people growing up in the 70s and 80s, it would be unimaginable to have such uh, widespread support uh, uh, for these kinds of issues. But what we've seen in the last few days is, is even in some areas where there's still opposition, uh, Yes, it's, it's terrific that they have signs of unity and, and public uh, shows of support, but what really matters are the legislative and legal gains. And uh, this has become an issue in certain states, including in Florida, where there's been a lot of resistance uh, to anti-discrimination legislation. So what's really important on that front is uh, to do more than simply uh, signal your support uh, verbally, uh, but to actually show that support legislatively. Okay, so uh, we talked about um, uh, t- two things. Uh, we talked about uh, Trump being under attack. Two things here. One, you write about something that not a lot of people have talked about, and that's politically correct. That's something that uh, Donald Trump, um, you know, you know, like, hey, enough of this PC, you know, hey, you know, we let's call it like it is about the Mexicans, the Muslims, whatever. But the LGBT community is involved in that political correctness, if you will. Um, Just politically correct, maybe have to leave Donald Trump's uh, dialogue going forward after Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it will. And this has been something he talks about all the time, and he loves to use that phrase. And it comes out of the culture wars of the 1980s and 1990s. And I think what happens in a moment like this is you get a better sense of, of what people are talking about when they're asking to be cautious with language and being sensitive uh, to what you say. Uh, and I do think it, it 
it, you know, it, people almost, uh, you know, they like to cheer him on when he says, I won't be politically correct. But I think after an attack like this, after so many people dying, it is far harder for him to, to say that and to get away with it. But I don't think he's going to move away from that rhetoric. That's an area I think we're going to continue to hear the anti-politically correct crusade of Donald Trump for some time to come. We have less than a minute left. You said this can be, you know, be tough for Hillary as well. We mentioned how it would be tough for Trump quickly. How would it be tough for, tough for Clinton? Well, she's tied to the Obama administration. This happened while he was president. And so Republicans, Trump and others, are going to say this is a product of a failed foreign policy. She might be smarter. She might be more experienced. But she's not right. Uh, and that's an attack that Donald Trump is going to try to make, just as Bernie Sanders did that when he questioned her experience by saying, but what about her judgment? Thank you, Julian. Julian Zelizer, follow him on Twitter at Julian Zelizer, J-U-L-I-A-N-Z-E-L-I-Z-E-R. His website is JulianZelizer.com. His great blogs can be found on CNN.com. And his latest book, which you should get, is The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. Our guest has been Julian Zelizer, political historian at Princeton University also a New America Foundation fellow. We will be back when we do Talk Media News. will be joining us live from our nation's capital. Don't go away. News. Bob, thank you for joining us. Uh, today, there was testimony quite stunning from the CIA director on Capitol Hill. Fill us in. Yes, uh, Leslie, it really was stunning. My jaw dropped only because he was just presenting everything so juxtaposed as to what the president said 48 hours previously. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, it was such a contradiction that he would be terminated or something, but it, it just mixes the whole game up with some confusion. I think it's a matter of semantics about the president saying, you know, we've accomplished some things, but the way the CIA director said it, it looks like, you know, not that much has been done. Of course, it's not all dependent upon us. Nobody really wants to talk about the fact that we need the Iranians, we need the Russians, we can't go after Assad right now. So it's complicated, but just for veteran, I think, uh, reporters, a lot of people said, wow, you know. Oh, no, no one of those days. No, no, yeah, no question at all. Right. Um, so that uh, uh, people understand, Bob, there are a lot of questions, especially in light of what happened Sunday, as to whether right. federal agencies are on top of their game. If there's ball dropping here, even, you know, we saw even back as far as September 11th, left hand not knowing right. what right is doing, FBI right. not knowing what CIA is doing. Could you speak to that briefly? Well, sure. Uh, you know, it's a very uh, tough system. It's hard to keep up with a lot of things. Uh, this this terrorist was taken off the terror list. Should he have been taken off? That's all going to be looked at. And, of course, beyond debated, I would hope that it will be clarified how, you know, they keep people on list. But ever since 911, we've tried to get things as correct as possible. You still have human failure. You might have technical intelligence, but there is human failure. So, I think a lot has been prevented and a good job done, but we're going to have missteps. Hopefully we learn from them versus them becoming completely political arguments. Okay, Hopefully. a couple of quick uh, things. The GOP has agreed to a gun vote, as we know, from a 15-hour mm -hmm. fi filibuster by Democrats. 
yeah, the filibuster went on. It stopped. They've agreed to the gun votes. I think there'll be two major ones, some other ones, but and one will be the no-fly list, which is very complicated. That's a problem. Even uh, Congressman John Lewis and Ted Kennedy were on that list, so they've got to kind of clean that list up. The other one I think would be uh, a better uh, ability for the Democratic side to get somewhere on, and that's if you're on the terrorist list, you know, you can't get a gun. So um, I'm just seeing how they'll perfect these amendments and tweak them, but there should be at least at least two major votes, I would think. Uh, background checks is a good question. That is how, what, 93% of the American people, Bob, support oh, that? Yes, people, I mean, and if they can find a mental health way that's, you know, that works, frankly, nobody's been able to do that so far. That would be a big key. If somebody can ever come up with that, that would be uh, amazing. A lot of people support background checks in general, period. Um, and then lastly, the president was in Orlando today. Hmm. It was a healing uh, process. Uh, I think the president was there, you know, to, to give comfort to these families. I mean, this is this is horrific. I've seen people coming out supporting uh, the families. I, on an airplane, they said that somebody, uh, everybody uh, hugged, you know, and said hello to the grandmother of one of the victims. I mean, in a, in a bad, bad tragedy, there's such an outpouring, and this is just horrifically uh, tragic, as any death is, but this one's of a huge magnitude, and I think the president's there to provide, as one human being, as the father of children, to provide comfort to those who have lost their loved ones. It's the right thing to do, and I think the community desires it and needs it. Thank you, Bob. Bob Nay, live from our nation's capital with Talk Media News. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Democrats made history last night. Right? They stayed on that floor for 15 hours, and they may be made change. We'll talk more about it coming up with you here on the only true democracy in talk radio. Don't go away.